Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. This is the Market Report for the week commencing the 5th of November 2018. Andrew is still away this week doing his European crop tour, so Josh, myself, will be stepping in uh, until next Friday when he's back with his new crazy ideas. We'll start with wheat. Um, sadly, the I was correct last week on my Market Report, um, which is probably good for my ego, but bad for any farmers wishing or who haven't sold anything. Um, we're basically now become a net exporter with uh, Vivergo and Ensa shutting up north has really dried up a lot of the physical demand for UK homes. So we're becoming a quite a big exporter in the UK. Uh, the start of the week, we had a, a weak pound, uh, which meant that we were, you know, the best market out there for anyone looking to take any wheat uh, from the UK. But then since Wednesday, there was uh, quite a big news with Brexit talks, which basically says that, you know, they're going to continue to the financial industry in London, still going to be able to operate outside of the EU, uh, which has strengthened the pound somewhat. So has basically taken three pounds off our, of our price. Sadly, on old crop, uh, the lack of domestic demand Demand is sort of keeping prices down relatively low uh, until people come in. We need a cold snap where people bring livestock inside and they have to start feeding animals more to fatten them up. Um, otherwise, things are going to stay relatively quiet. Uh, prices for consumers are still considered, in their opinion, to be too high, whereas farmers are considered to be too low to be selling or to be buying at the moment. New crop um, for November 2019. Uh, If the market goes to 156 on the November 19, that then equates to less than £150 a tonne ex-farm for farmers. At that point, I think that's going to sound very uninspiring. It's going to stop farmers selling. Um, They're probably going to hold on to their grain. Will that be enough to hold the market up? Probably not, but you know you must be aware that while the market's 157 or above, you're going to be getting a minimum price of 150 ex-farm November 19 for your wheat. Definitely worth considering. Um, at the moment, we haven't seen a lot of people doing it. Uh, most people are out there sort of doing other things, working on the land, sugar beet, potatoes, not really considering that. But but maybe that is worth considering. 150 is not a bad price. Rain uh, across the UK in the last week has, has really dried up plantings. Um, saying that, there looks like there's going to be a phenomenal wheat crop out there. This rain has just been fantastic. I think locally we've had uh, up to 70 mil, which has just completely eroded any issues on soil moisture. Uh, or soil dryness even and uh, so things for next harvest really do look fantastic whether or not that'll be enough to slow up wheat plantings completely i'm not sure but certainly in the short term it's going to slow things up uh, looking slightly further afield the eu is looking like it's going to have a massive wheat crop planted with uh, we're just waiting for the confirmation but as soon as the figures come out uh, we're expecting that to be relatively bullish because the forward price is the best they've been for a long long time and, you know, wheat is going to look pretty fantastic. And the same as us, Europe's had some uh, some very good 
weather for rain and things look really quite good going forward. It's probably the best start to a to a new year in in a very very long time. Internationally, uh, Russia have closed five ports this week, uh, which basically that story keeps coming up. Last week, I alluded to some news that that Russia might have an export ban, uh, but this week they keep talking about it. So bullishly, I suppose if they come out with something, yes, the market could do something dramatic, but. I don't think it's something to hang your hat on because they're very unpredictable. Um, but closing ex- closing five ports is definitely a good start to anything. So it's going to sort of hopefully hold wheat prices where they are. Um, with the wheat that we've had, uh, considering how much things have come down, I, it does feel like there's some market support at these levels. So we don't expect in the short term the market to come off any further. We just think the price is going to consolidate and stay very much the same as what they are. On Thursday, Donald Trump tweeted that he had a positive talks with the Chinese president, which has basically then changed the price of uh, soybeans, went up dramatically. It's had its biggest up day since August. Um, Skeptically, you could say he said that to really probably help his midterm election push rather than is it true, is it not true? Because in a week's time, he could come up with something completely different. But anyway, at least in the short term, it's had a very good benefit on soybeans and oilseed rape. This week, uh, the negative on rapeseed is that the pound obviously strengthened, um, taking six pounds off our price. But now with this soybean story, has pushed French, French futures up. And as our limited, our drops in price. Sadly, crude oil from last week being 75 has now dropped down to well below 75. So things are looking less exciting there. Uh, new crop, the confirmed yield downgrades in Australia and Canada are definitely going to hold support somewhat, but I do believe that lots of those things are actually already accounted for in the price. New crop UK, uh, the trade are very concerned about early establishment and lower plantings. Uh, I think that locally, if you were to look very brokerly in Norfolk, things look quite good. Um, but outside of there, if you're talking to our European correspondent, Andrew, suggesting that things don't look so fantastic coming through Europe, um, that maybe prices aren't too bad and they're probably going to remain firm. But if you consider that your harvest rapeseed is worth £312 per tonne, that's really not too bad at all, I think, because once you've got your bonuses on top, you know, you'll be you know, getting onto a profitable crop there. On barley, feed barley's actually stayed a very firm in price. Uh, there's normally a premium to wheat on export markets, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, the Saudis have taken a million tonnes in the last week, or you know, it's a decent chunk. UK barley is definitely, you know, up there. A lot of it's based off uh, a pound, which is, you know, pretty much always impossible to predict. So what could predict that? What could change that? Current Brexit, currency, weather, goodness knows. But currently at the moment, feed barley worth being nearly the same as wheat. Not too bad, really. Uh, 160 odd is actually a, is really a really strong value for feed barley when you compare the price of wheat of being 163. Malting barley, uh, old crop, uh, molsters are... You know, they're bought, they need to buy pre-Christmas. They've slowed things down. Um, they don't, there's, there is worries on quality. Um, the the big, if you've got malting barley to sell, I think the bigger time, the best time to be selling that would probably be post-Christmas um, when everyone will be thinking about the new year and what they need to buy before harvest and what they might need to carry over. Uh, what weather could do, you know, we have no idea. If we have another itchy spring like we've had the last couple of years, then then goodness knows where barley values could be for harvest. Um, new crop is expected to the planting expect to be down for spring barley just because we've had such a kind spring uh, people will be planting it to combat black grass or if it's still in their rotation but you know there are, there is land locally and across the UK that 
that we've lost spring barley land to wheat because we've had such a kind autumn. Very much similar to Denmark, actually, because they've had a pretty dreadful autumn last year and a, and a fairly awful spring. So that this year, with a decent decent autumn, they've planted a hell of a lot of wheat. We're expecting uh, levels to be down there in terms of volume on, on spring barleys. UK will probably have a surplus of spring barley for next harvest. Um, how much, I'm not sure. The odds are that East Anglia will still be in a deficit. So... You know, if you're if you're looking forward for next harvest and you've got a rep trying to get you to sell some malting barley, I would for the moment I'd, I would hold off until we know exactly until you've planted it, so you know what it's going to half look like. Um, I would definitely hold off at the moment because molsters will have no stock carryover, and uh, so we could be in a position like we were this year where you can almost name your price and and if you've got some good quality distilling barley, it's going to be worth some good money. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours and now it's time for our feature today i've got with me a legend of the grain trade mr paul munt hello paul good morning andrew how are you this morning after a few beers last night um i feel the usual way i feel after i've had a night out with you (laughs) and as for anyone who knows the Mr. Munt, guess what we were drinking late into the evening? <laughs> With Coca-Cola, though. <laughs> no prizes. Um, right, Paul, you have spent most of your working life as a futures broker. And what I want to do today is, is, is do a simplified question and answer session about what exactly the futures market is for the marketplace. So, so farmers and one or two people who are perhaps new to the industry get to understand it a little bit and hopefully we can take away a little bit more of the mystery. Are you happy with that? Um, yeah, if I can remember for the uh, four years back since I've been retired. But yeah, it's cha- changed a bit since the good old days. <laughs> right, so so this, this, in a simple form, you would be working in London in the, in the old days, before yeah. electronics. What, what, how did it function? Well, very simply, obviously, for you or anyone to access the futures market then or today, you have to go through an intermediary uh, who has to be a clearing member and looks after all of yours and everyone else's money in the pot so that the people that make money during the day um, get paid it to their account and those that lose get debited. Um, so yeah, the so middleman... No one can walk broker. in off the street and suddenly buy 50 contracts. They, no. they have to go through someone who's registered Absolutely. and has got money lodged enough to cover all eventualities. Absolutely. In the old days, of course, you, people came in with suitcases full of cash. Um, <laughs> no questions asked. Obviously, that has changed somewhat for all the correct and obvious reasons. But um, let's, let's, let's make this nice and simple. So a farmer comes along to me and sells me... Mm. 200 tonnes of wheat. Mm-hmm. So I then go around all of the consumers and say, I want to buy some wheat. And mm-hmm. they all say, no, no, I think the price is coming down. I'm going to buy it later, which is probably why the farmer sold it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So my only way of, of, of having something sold against what a, a tonnage I've got bought is to trade futures. Yep. So I would phone you up and I'd say, please, would you sell me to November contract futures? Mm-hmm. 200 tonnes, yep. And what that means is, if I, if we transacted at whatever the price was on the day at the mm-hmm. futures, we would be able to have 200 tonnes bought. And if you imagine a set of scales, I put exactly the same weight on the other side of the scales and I'm nicely balanced. 
Yep, and that's what's called hedging, of course. Um, I'd also argue that you'd also use the futures market to be able to quote the price to the farmer as well, because if there was no consumer in the marketplace or shipper um, or anyone wishing to uh, buy forward, you would look at the futures price and say, well, at those basis differentials, you would be comfortable in offering a price to a farmer knowing that you could hedge at that forward price until a buyer came along so you could unwind that hedge. Yeah, and that's the important point. That's why futures were invented because historically, you know, at harvest everyone would have lots of wheat mm-hmm. and Windy Miller would turn around and say, yep, I don't really need that much and, and the price would plummet. And then at the end of the year, he would be knocking on the farmers, or have you got any wheat left? And the farmers would say, no, it's all gone. The futures market enabled people to kind of put a definitive price in, in the future. Absolutely. And that hints the name. Yeah. And you have people who are making biscuits or bread or pig feed or whatever, who have a customer who wants to fix a price. And, and all of those in all of those people create a market value so you can say next March is worth this much money. It's worth more than November, less than May, because you haven't got to store it quite so long. That yeah. price is X. And that particular, if it makes the biscuit maker happy, he'd say, yeah, I'll pay that. So he becomes a bid in the marketplace from which I can say, ah, if I sell that, I can pay that to a farmer. Yep. Um, that's you know the, the basics. Obviously, there are a whole manner of other... Players in the marketplace, those speculators, um, the price at this moment in time, if you were to phone your broker up or go online these days and be able to see a live price, then that price represents everything that people believe about the future and what the future holds hmm. as far as price is concerned. And so it gives you liquidity. All news and everything hmm. is there. Absolutely. Now, why the price is there isn't necessarily because of you know, Jack Watts has forecast this, that or the other, um, or any of the um, government bodies have. Um, who knows what the weather's going to do? Who knows what Mother Nature's going to do? What currency's going to do? The big boys in the city are going to do? Mr Putin, Mr Trump um, or Brexit? Absolutely. So, you know, all these things will influence price in due course. But in the meantime, the hedger obviously wants to take away the risk of being exposed to those future moves because they will happen um you know we've already experienced you know, see, this year another bull run see the, the the what i'm the point i initially want to make is that the futures are an incredible force for good and yet over the over the decades as companies have disappeared or lost money or they're always demonised uh, as as people look through the accounts and say, oh, look, he lost lots of money on the futures. It could have been a completely legitimate hedging Absolutely. situation. And, and the actual money was lost in yep. perhaps having too many overheads or, or a whole host of other things that, that affected it. But yeah, and the, the only, the only uh, issue with the futures market, of course, is the cash issue, that you do have to have funds up front to pay margin. The whole of the futures markets um, rely on people paying their money, obviously, uh, which is margins and margin calls. So, so let's, let's, let's simplify that. That means mm. I sell November wheat at £170 a tonne and there is a terrible drought that continues right the way through the winter and into next year. Yeah. Ooh, sounds a bit like this year at the moment. Anyway, yeah. um, and the price goes up to £200 a tonne. The difference between yeah. those two prices... I have to pay on a daily basis, don't I? Absolutely. As per the market moves against you, you have to pay that difference. Um, now, obviously, you're not being paid the counter side, even though when that when you unwind your hedge, obviously, 
the basis is still hopefully still the same or thereabouts, um, which, which invariably it should be. Yeah. Um, which is why you, you use the futures market, the hedge. And basis is the difference between a farm price and yeah. futures price. So if, if, if it constantly stays in, in Norfolk at um, X farm, £7 under the futures, if the market goes up £30 on the futures, then the X farm price is also going up £30. That's what you mean yeah. by basis. No, I, I, absolutely. But of course, the one difference is if you're the wrong side, as it were, on the futures leg of it, you're having to pay the difference, which you know, impinges yeah. on your cash flow, obviously. Which is margin call. Which is the margin call side of it, because you know, you're not getting the, the, that from the counterparty. And, and which, which, which brings it back to the, the terrible stories about futures. Several farmers took up potato futures, Absolutely. and although the price of potatoes was going through the roof, they were getting margin calls because they'd sold potatoes saying, this is an amazing price, I'll just sell potato futures and this is like falling off a log, I can make money at this. But they started getting cash calls and it's not one of those ones you can negotiate. You have to pay it. That the broker day. closes you out because obviously he has to pay it on your behalf. Yeah. So um, if you don't pay him, he has to wear the cost of that uh, that money, that margin call to the uh, clearinghouse at the end of the day. Hmm. I think that, that but the, the margin call aspect is, is, if you like, one of the services that, uh, uh, you know, the merchanting trade gives to farmers. Farmers don't pay margin sure. calls on forward contracts. All farmers do, forgive me for this farming community, but all you do is moan about the rubbish <laughs> price you sold it at. If you had a bill on top of it every evening, you'd feel a lot worse. And, uh, yeah, I think I think the grain trade provides a phenomenally good service on that basis. It genuinely is a, a cash flow misery uh, for Absolutely. the merchanting trade. But, but I think you use one other aspect of it quite well and have done over the years, of course, is the, you know, the purchasing of options, um, which, again, is an outright immediate cost to you because you've got to pay the premium money, of course. Um, but you know exactly... That's all you're having to pay at the end of the day. Well, I'm going to give a little secret away here. I mean, I, I set a business up in uh, 2006. No one else has set up a business in that period and, and survived um, in in the industry. And I sell futures against um, you know the, the, the stuff I buy from farmers. But I also grant a load of call options to farmers. I've got an, a lot of my guys do those options. And I buy call options at the same time as I grant them. So my actual futures broker's position has a short on the futures. If the market decides to go through the roof, it has cover on the option side. So my margin calls, I've managed to find a way of not suffering too heavily with it. No, no, which is very profound, of course. And understanding what you've done from, uh, since certainly since you set up the business, obviously before then, you've understand the value of the tools that are available. Uh, yeah, I, do you know what the, the first option I ever bought was in 1988 and you sold me five May uh, 89 call options and uh, I, I was working for a company called John Lee Bennett and we, I, I, you said that, you, you told me all about them and I didn't understand a word and I went yeah alright then and I was a grain manager at the ripe old age of 26 and uh, I said alright then I'll have some of them and I had to go to my next board meeting, and I got absolutely slaughtered by the by the the um, general manager and by the guy who used to run the chemical department. And bluntly, you know, I just bunged away three pounds a ton, I think it was. And, oh, you're an idiot! And um, I I just took it on the chin every every board meeting we had every month. I got this kicking about these damned options. Anyway, the market had a terrible year, did nothing much until it got to about March time. 
some sort of drought in the States or something. Anyway, the market went up. I've forgotten about these options. You phoned me up and said, right, Andrew, it's getting time to expire on your options. I take it you'll want to take them up. I went, what are you talking about? <laughs> and and you, I don't know, it made about six or seven pounds a ton. And and you you said, well, you, you, you're long. big in them days, of course. Well, yeah, it was good. massive in them days. Well, no, it, you know, and all of a sudden I had this seven-pound margin out of nowhere. My next board meeting was like, you know, you can imagine how cocky I got, you know. But I, I, it was it was uh, it was immensely pleasurable to just like, you know, here's the money, mate. Um, and I suddenly thought, oh, do you know why I really like these option things? Yeah, S- simple yeah. as that. And then I, I was hooked, and and I persuaded farmers to use them. Um, which is without doubt, I, don't, I just don't, I do not get why the whole industry doesn't use them. I just can't understand it. It's that same story that goes back to your John Lee Bennett days and the, your peers saying, well, can't be paying, spending all that much money. Why well, take out an insurance policy? We don't need that insurance policy where actually most uh, people need insurance policy to drive your car, to you know, be in this house, you know, in case things go wrong. Because things go wrong so if you've got an insurance policy pay for it pure and simple you know you go back to the 80s and every merchant and consumer was trading with futures and options Mm. and the year 2018 where we've progressed they're not are they yeah, I think that, yeah, obviously, I, I'm still surprised as you're aware that the uh, the life futures market is actually still um, still going, but um, because liquidity has never been great, um, very few brokers obviously want to be in that particular space because they don't earn money out of it for obvious reasons, no liquidity, no commissions, etc., etc. Some merchants love it. Uh, but of course, you know, for the people like yourself that use it not just for hedging, but to utilise you know, the storekeeping uh, benefits of that, um, you know, is is very profound. You and others, um, but it's not the most liquid thing for a broker to be involved in. It's one of the least liquid, I think, in the world. Actually. But the UK, the UK grain trade uses the futures price as its only Absolutely. true it's transparent gone. pricing. If you took that away, you would lose the transparency in the market because mm-hmm. you know the consumers, the big biggest consumer. And the bigger consumers would could you know mask what their prices were. Absolutely, and love, they would love no futures market. Yeah, it's critical. The big shippers for, and consumers. It um, would be a governmental question if 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 the futures market looked like it was going to expire or not not trade any longer. It would be catastrophic for the for the for the farming community for the agricultural industry. But at the moment, lots and lots of the trade use the price, but don't actually trade the futures. Why don't they trade futures? Do you think? Um, a number of reasons, and um, uh, and now the UK is such a small dwindling um, business, really, with people struggling to make margin. Let's be brutally honest, all round. It just isn't. Again, goes back to liquidity. You know, if, if you wanted to buy or sell a big tonnage in the life futures market without substantially moving the marketplace, it's very difficult. It always has been, and as far as I'm aware, it's even worse now. So, mm. so, so, fu- oh, so futures. Deliberate. We we, mm. we hopefully some of the mystery about futures. It's it in the end. It is about ordinary blokes, isn't it? You know, this 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 man for his sins supports Tottenham Hotspurs. You phone him up on a Monday morning, and if there isn't something really pressing going going on. You have a chat about footy. You have a chat about goodness knows what, mm. what how the weekend went. But it's you're an ordinary guy doing an ordinary Absolutely. job, and and the point is that there's a there's a kind of mystery around the the city and about those guys must be really intelligent. And let's face it, Paul. 
<laughs> this thick council house boy uh, really uh, don't fit into that category in any shape or form. But, well, in uh, the end, the trade is that it's not a case of, of it's about gut instinct and communication, isn't it? Yeah, and, and moving quickly when when something's sure. happening because every now and again it does go absolutely nuts, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Then, and, but but that was in, you know again in the good old days where no mobile phones, no computers. Um, if you, as Andrew during you know, whichever firm, be it BDR, Allied, wherever, um, wanted to uh, know what's going on in the marketplace, you had to phone the floor. And if you wanted to place an order, then we had to go out and shout at someone across the floor to get mm. the trades done for you. The little clerks in the middle would um, pull down the futures board and scribble on there with their felt-tip pens the price that had just <laughs> traded. We'd have to write a bit of paper out to the counterparty that we traded with. Um, but it was talk on the phone, talk to the people we're trading with. Mm. And, of course, now people say, well, when I retired, one of the reasons you know, people were sending IM messages, you could get Bloomberg messages, uh, taking orders to put into a computer screen. So not, you know, it was about keeping an eye on the computer screen all the time. And putting orders into a computer mm. screen is, believe you me, somewhat different, especially for an old kid like me. So, you know, it changed. And, of course, in people with mobile phones, you know, and... and and the wife could get hold of you of an evening. You know, you couldn't go down the pub late. Um, you, you, hang on. Is that on record? He couldn't go down the pub late. Have you ever not gone down the pub late? Well, if a client was in well, I was going to say, always, if the customer was there, Andrew, of course, I would always be going at my customers. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that, you know, the, the, the point of this morning is that we have trying to, to, to dispel any myths about future trading. It is a mm. simple process. Yeah. And if you understand the rules, i.e. you have to pay the margin call... As long as you understand the relationship between your grain on your farm or going into your mill and the futures price, mm. you know you can use that constantly as a tool. And it's a phenomenally important value. That 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 exchange is so important to the, to the UK market. Sure. Uh, as are options, by the way. Let the specialists grant them. Um, but take out insurance policies. That'll do. Do you know what? Munty, as we all know you and love you, Thank you very much. My pleasure. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste, and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week, Claire has come back to uh, for the two of us to discuss how we're getting on with podcasting. Claire's the expert... I'm the novice, and um, I think it'll be a good time to reflect on where we've got to so far. So, hello, Claire. Hi, hi. Uh, my job this morning first is to taste the beer. Thanks. So, this morning, we have got um, Meantime Brewing Company, London Lager. But they've very kindly said that the, um, the malt is from East Anglia, and it's got Kentish hops from London's back garden. That was two big gulps because I had a sip previously, actually. It was really, actually, it's cold and just the right thing for this morning. Claire, what do you think of our performance so far? Well, it's definitely improved, hasn't it? It's been a learning curve. 
I'm beginning to enjoy it. Oh, good. I'm very pleased to hear it. You've got in your stride and you've become a bit of a, you know, Michael well, in- Parkinson. <laughs> <laughs> now then, love. And, and some, of, some of the people, you know, we've interviewed so far, it's been fascinating how they, in the, in the situation of having a microphone in front of them, it does actually slightly change their persona. Have you noticed that? Yeah, yeah I have. And it, and it gives them a... a it's, it's interesting, people are a little bit more open. They open out a bit more. When you, if you've listened to their last response and kind of actually ask them a question, you don't get um, the, the, the such closedness. Some, you know, sometimes right. they're, they're, if, if they've got something they're passionate about. And we've had some fantastic subjects, you know, and, and, and lots of people aspire to improve things for other people. That's come out very clearly. And we had, you know, um, education. And, you know, there's famously uh, Paul Hoverson was talking about the, the, the standards that people need to achieve and how we need to raise the whole game and how, you know, at the end of his farming career, he wants to put things back in. That, that attitude has come across, you know, most of the people we've spoken to. They all seem to want to kind of, kind of help yeah, they do. And I think quite a lot of people have been quite humble as well, haven't they? Well, played down their achievements in many ways. But the understatement is the, is the disarming skill. <laughs> I've tinkered <laughs> with, I've done, you know, I did win Farmer of the Year. Understatement is definitely the way forward. It's fascinating. Our podcast is, is going out there and, and the great unwashed can listen to it. The grain trade is listening to the Doing Grain podcast. Are they? Oh, yes, they are. Where, where we went to someone's retirement due last week... And of 15 people in the room, 10 of them listen to our podcast every week. Ooh. Now, hopefully, you're going to be listening to our advice and, and, and making some money. Because <laughs> we have a long history of making a profit, so just follow us, lads, and everything will be fine. And if that I know, must make you feel good, Andrew. Well, it makes me feel slightly surprised because, yeah. you know, lots of guys there with much bigger businesses than this one listening to my podcast is, yeah, it's a serious ego trip. Oh, no. When the numbers are growing, like, you know, there's a lot more listeners than there were at the beginning. So that's really good. I've got to somehow find a way of tapping into that psyche of my age group. I recognise that, that it just isn't something they're going to do unless someone physically puts it on their, on their phone for them and physically yeah. says, press this, and it downloads automatically. Different podcasts that I've been involved with, you know, the whole generation is missing out on them because they love radio, you know, but they just haven't quite got that technology know-how of like downloading an app onto their phone and, and playing it or you know in most cases the app's already there right we've, we've got to the end of this kind of this this analysis early weeks you notice the understatement um we were like oh wrong 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 there were lots of things that were right in it and and if you took the first statement of the first podcast and looked at the market right now it would be like superstar status. So Really? Yeah, oh, no, oh, okay. Know. Well, I'm, you know, if somebody can just before, corroborate that for me, please. I'm <laughs> modest. But, um, yeah, we're sure to be getting some things wrong. But, you know, if you think we should go in another direction or you think we should, uh, I don't know, maybe... But you've got something to say, you want to be on, we want to come on here, like, let us know, get in touch. We've got, you know, email, Twitter, phone. I mean, that's yeah. a bit old-fashioned, but they could phone you, couldn't they? Yeah, and don't, don't, you know, don't make it all criticism, please. Make, make the odd nice one come through. And but... we would love reviews, obviously, and rating and all that kind of thing helps. What does that mean? Well, just when you're on the podcast app, it will give you an opportunity to rate it. And if you could just put the five stars and then um, do you do a nice comment. Because you... I can't do it anymore. I just... <laughs> <laughs> no, is, it, is that every week or do you do it just once? Just and once. Just once, once five-star yep. rating. Yep. Five-star. Obviously, grain trade. The one-star rating, we'll know it's you, so just be a little bit kinder. Yeah. 
<laughs> don't don't do us over in one. Just think of the money I'm making with all this good advice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, Claire. I think I think we'll review it again in another ten or fifteen episodes time and see where we're at with that. Brilliant, well done, you good. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.